Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is part three in a, in a series of messages I call, What a God We Have. Today I want to look at the power of God and what it means for us. And there is a doctrinal word for power, and that word is omnipotence, O-M-N-I, which means all, and potent, which means power. And today we want to look at the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 10. And God had said to Israel, I'm going to give you a land, all your own. But in this land that I'm going to give you, you have to um, drive out all the heathen tribal people the heathen tribal people that already live in the land. And then you have to go into battle, and I'm going to give you the victory, but you're going to have to fight the battle. So Moses leads the people of Israel right to the brink of the promised land, right to the Jordan River. They're on the banks of the Jordan River, all two million Israelites. And right across the river, there it is, that land just flowing. I mean, on one side of the river, desert. The other side of the river, that beautiful lush green land flowing with milk and honey, and then Moses dies. And Joshua takes him into that promised land. He's their leader. And he's the general of their armies. And God tells him in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, man. You're going to be a mean machine. But he says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Then he says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers. Be strong and very courageous as you drive these people out of the land. And so the armies of Israel start to take out these pagan people, tribal people, one by one by one. You know, every tribe, excuse me, one tribe at a time. Even the big one, the stronghold of Jericho. And the battle plan didn't always make sense because take this big one, the walled city, the stronghold of Jericho, what did God say? He said, march around the city seven times, take out your ram's horns, blow the ram's horns, yell hallelujah, the walls will come down, and then you can go in and take out the people. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they were winning one battle after another. And you hear a lot about the walls of Jericho, but you don't hear a whole lot about the walled city of Gibeon, G-I-B-E-O-N. And that builds up to our text. The walled city of Gibeon. See, the people of Gibeon, G-I-B-E-O-N, they knew. They knew that Joshua and the armies of Israel were kind of unbeatable, that their God was fighting for them. And so, and this is a long story, but using deception, they make a treaty with Joshua and the armies of Israel. And the treaty stipulated, if we're attacked, you will come to our defense. And that happened. That's exactly what happened. And that takes us to Joshua chapter 10. Because five kings over these pagan tribal people look at the city of Gibeon, the walled city of Gibeon, and they say, well, first of all, it says in in Joshua 10, verse 2, it says, they were great fighting men. They were, they, I mean, they, they were good fighters, Joshua 10 too. But these people said, these kings said, if they unite with Israel and you have Gibeon and Israel fighting against us, we're all dead. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take out Gibeon. Now, the five kings make this alliance. Verse 6, Joshua chapter 10, Then the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces, there's that alliance, against us. So Joshua marched up. Remember, they had a treaty from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. 
I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. In verse 9 of Joshua chapter 10, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. And the thought that came to mind is, remember, folks, whenever there's a victory in life, God gives us those victories. Now I look at verse 12. And verses 12 and 13 are a flashback. Now, you got to remember, God commanded Israel to drive out all those pagan tribal people, those heathen people in the promised land, and he would give them the victory. And he, he just wanted those people out of there and, and get their idol gods, pack up all their idol gods and get those idol gods out of the promised land. And the reason is because God was the true God. He alone wanted to be worshipped. He alone was worthy of worship, okay? So halfway through the battle, it's midday. Joshua's battling this confederation of kings on behalf of Gibeon. It's half way through the day and he looks over the he looks over the enemy army and he looks at the sky and he says we're never going to drive all these people out by nightfall we'll never ever do it we don't have enough daylight left they'll escape in the night and so he prays this prayer in Joshua chapter 10 verse 12 on that day, the Lord gave the Ammonites over to, over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel he said O sun stand still over Gibeon O moon over the valley of Ijalon so he prayed, he needed, he, he needed time, he, he needed daylight to drive all these pagan people out of the land to win that victory. And he could see he didn't have the, the, the daylight to do it, and so he prayed that God would make the sun stand still. Then what happened? We're talking about the power of God. Look at verse 13. So the sun stood still, <laughs> and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on all of its enemies. One man's prayer, folks. That's one man's prayer. Now, God will not stop the sun if you just want to work on a tan. He will not stop the sun if you want to play volleyball on the beach or something like that. But God will do that or something like that to accomplish his purpose. Now, to this day, hear me, to this day, on the official record of the, uh, the World Time Center in Geneva, we're missing a day. Seriously, this really happened. It appeared that the sun stopped. But this massive planet came to a screeching halt. That's what blows me away. This massive planet came to a screeching halt. It stopped spinning, stopped rotating around the sun. It just stopped dead. Now, I think about this, and I thought to myself, now, if that happened, buildings would collapse. The earth would open up and swallow everything. Or it would explode and blow us all out into space. Or something catastrophic or something if the earth just stopped like that. But none of that happened. None of that I mean, one man prays so they have enough daylight to obey God's command to drive out all the pagan and God stops the earth and everything's cool. I mean, none of nature is out of balance. I, you know, I think about that and I say, and you know, all I want to say is, wow, what a God we have. I mean, I look at Jesus, true God and true man at the same time. I look, I look at Matthew 14. This verse 25 it says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, look at this, walking on the lake. He went out to them walking on the lake. And again, I don't know a lot of science, but I do know this, that the specific density of human flesh is, is greater than the density of water. And he should have drowned, folks. He should have drowned, but he didn't. He walked on the water. A Roman officer comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant boy who's dying. Please help me. And Jesus says, go home. He's well. They didn't wave his hand. There's no magic wand. I mean, he just willed it. There's unlimited power in the will of God. And then you think about this. You've got to think about this. God's will is good. God is good. And he only wills and accomplishes what is good. And I want to say, don't we have a honey of a God? I mean, what a God we have. What a God we have. Here's a number of thoughts on the omnipotence of the Almighty God. 
or the almighty power of God. There's about four or five thoughts here. The first thought is this. His miracles prove and his mighty acts prove that he is God. That's number one. His, his divine power proves that he is God. And I've been reading this daily devotional by a guy named Bishop James Ryle. He was a bishop in um, London in the mid-1800s. And he takes me deeper. And I just want to read this to you. They, Jesus' miracles, teach that he who worked these miracles must be nothing less than very God. They stamp his, they stamp, the miracle stamp his doctrines and precepts with the mark of divine authority. He only who created all things at the beginning, now listen, could suspend the laws of creation at his will. He who could suspend the laws of creation must be one who ought to be thoroughly believed and implicitly obeyed to reject one who confirmed his mission by such mighty works is the height of madness and folly. Know what he just said, what Bishop Ralph said? He just said, only the one who made the laws of nature can suspend them. And if you can look at the complexities in our creation, and if you can look at the miracles of Jesus Christ and just shrug them off and not believe he is God, he said, it's madness. If you believe he is God, then you believe his doctrine, he said. Then you believe he is sovereign over his creation. You believe his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ is the right plan and the only plan. And to deny that and to reject that is what? Madness. Called it madness. Okay, thought number two on the power of God. Don't put any limits on God. Boy, how I'd love to get into the mind and heart of Joshua, man. He's winning this battle against this combined army of pagan people, okay? And he looks at the number of enemies still left, and then he looks up at the sky and the sun, and he says, there's no way, this just isn't going to happen. We're not going to be obedient to God and drive out all these pagan people. And so here's what he does. Here's what he does. Chapter 10, Joshua verse 12, he says, oh, say so he prays, oh, son, stay. I mean, I could just see Joshua on horseback. He said, we're never going to do this. Look at all these people left. Look at the sky. Look at the sun. The sun's right there. It's going down. And he just cries out. And he says, I love this. Oh, sun, stand still over Gibeon. Oh, moon over the valley of Ajalon. Joshua didn't have the slightest doubt that God would do this. That's what blows me away. God, he didn't have the slightest doubt that God could do this or would do this. Now, from his perspective, the sun stopped. From our perspective, the earth stopped rotating around on its own axis and around the sun. But my question is this, would you ever pray a prayer like that? Would I? The fingers are all pointing back at me. Now, here comes the question. Do you believe that God can do anything? Okay, what can't God do? What can't God do? I mean, do you really believe? I mean, you say it. The amens, yeah. But you say it, but do you really believe it? What, what, what can't God do? Okay, God cannot act contrary to his own nature. God cannot sin because he's holy. He can't do anything evil. God cannot cease to exist because he's immortal or eternal. God cannot not know everything because he's omniscient. He knows everything. God cannot not be everywhere present because he's omnipresent and so on and so forth. All of which means he can do everything. Now, do you believe that God can do everything? Joshua believed that, man. Stop in the sea. Stop in the sight. Oh, son, stop in the sky, you know? I mean, this was no big deal for Joshua. I mean, this was no big deal for God. And, and this whole thing is about attitude, folks. It's about belief. That prayer came from within. This whole God can do anything attitude. And this attitude affects how you approach just about everything in your life, not just the big stuff. See, when you believe that God can do anything, you will attempt things you wouldn't normally attempt because God can do this. I mean, let's say there seems to be a wall between you and Larry. And you say, I mean, you say that there's a wall between Larry and me and you decide, well, I'm just going to avoid him. Okay. 
Well, you can decide that. You can say, I'm just going to avoid him. Or you can say, Father, I believe that Larry and I can bless each other. Help me to do what I need to do to change, to make this work between me and Larry. And you believe in here that this, will, that this can really, really happen. And so when you approach Larry with that attitude that God's at work and he can work in you and work in Larry, and God can really make this happen, and you believe that in here and in here, guess what? It'll probably work. It really will. It's all attitude. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you believe God will do this, you know, now God is obligated to do it. I'm not saying that. Just because you believe it. That's what you're going to hear on TV preaching, okay? Um, you're going to hear that all you got to do is believe, just believe, just believe God for your miracle, just believe God for this, just believe God for that, and somehow now God is obligated to do that. I don't believe that for a second. And you will hear this here. You're going to hear stuff like this. You get what you expect. Just believe God for your miracle, and, and he will do it, and just expect God to do it, and you will get what you expect. And somehow now God is obligated to bring, to bring that about, whether it is good for you or not. Now, folks, I don't believe that for a second. There is nothing in Scripture that will ever support that just because you expect God to do it, that now he is bound to act on your behalf. So don't believe that. But that's another sermon. God has all power. That's what we want to learn today. God has all power, and I'm his child. And you've got to think like this. This can happen. That, folks, is life-changing. That attitude, folks, is life-changing. See, that attitude makes me face people and face circumstances in my life and attempt things I never would have attempted. I mean, there are times when I'm apprehensive about what I need to do, and, and, and I catch myself and I say, wait a minute, this is nonsense. God has all power, and this is the right thing to do, and I'm in his will, and maybe I can't pull this off, but, but, but you know what? He can, and you think like that, and living like that, and thinking like that, I want to tell you, blesses your life. I can't tell you how that blesses your life, thinking like that. But you got to practice it. You got, you know, instead of just thinking about it, you got to start facing things and attempting things and believing they can happen. Saying is one thing, doing is another. And so quit giving up and start saying, why not? Why not start praying and believing God can do this? You're going to be like a new person. You got a new attitude. I'll tell you what, and people are going to notice that. People are going to notice that. They're going to notice a change in you. Don't you just love that prayer of Joshua? You know, I need more daylight. Sun, stand still. What, a, what an attitude. Okay, here's thought number three on the power of God. We looked at God's power in creation. We, we saw God's answer to Joshua's prayer when, when God made the sun stand still. And here's what I believe. I believe that his greatest miracles are not mighty demonstrations of great power like that. I believe God's greatest miracles are changed hearts. Those are the greatest miracles God does. Changing a heart is God's greatest miracle. Maybe you remember the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and he was seeped knee-deep in Jewish legalistic tradition. And he began to listen to Jesus. And one night he comes to him by night. This is John chapter 3, verse 2. A lot of you know this. And he says... Um, Teacher, what you say makes a lot of sense to me, but I got a couple of questions. And Jesus stops him in mid-sentence, and he says, he says, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just, just stop for a second. You got to be born again. He says, you got to be born again, okay? And next time we see Nicodemus, and this is kind of neat, it's in John chapter 7, when the Pharisees are really coming down hard on Jesus, and Jesus isn't there. 
And you begin to see the transformation of Nicodemus in John chapter 750. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, now listen, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? See what's happening in Nicodemus' heart? Pharisees seeped in all these Pharisaic traditions. Now he's defending Jesus. He says, hey guys, don't talk about this guy unless he's here to defend himself. And then you look at John 19, 39, don't look at it, but um, Jesus dies and Nicodemus and Joseph claim his body. And what they're saying is he's the one, he's the savior the scriptures point to, and he just died, but not for long. <laughs> you ain't seen the end of this whole thing. And that, folks, is a changed heart. Nothing dramatic, not looking at the sun saying, oh, sun, stand still, nothing dramatic like that, but a person saved for heaven forever. By the power of God, working through his word, and through you. The greatest miracles are changed hearts. Listen, I know lots of people here today would give everything. You'd give everything if somebody you love would accept Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, God has all power. That's what this message is about. That's what this word is about. God has all power, and that can happen. Don't ever put any limits on God. Never put any limits on God, but folks, you've got to be proactive. I mean, there are ways and means, like prayer. Always pray for God to prepare their hearts. Always do that. And the word, like Nicodemus, hearing the word broke down all those walls of resistance. An unbeliever has to hear the word of God. A hard heart has to have that wall of resistance broken down by the word of God. And here's what the word of God is going to do. The word of God will create an emptiness in these people. It'll create an emptiness in them. But then that same word of God will fill them. And here's what you need to pray for people who are not saved. If you're praying that people who are not saved, if you're praying that, that they're fulfilled and happy, and God blesses them. Oh, God bless them. Make them fulfilled. Make them happy. You're praying all the wrong stuff. What you need to pray for unsaved people is, God, create an emptiness in them. Create a void in them. Create a dissatisfaction in these folks with everything they have in life. Make them terrified at the thought of death. That's what you got to pray for these people. Father, I pray that when they think about that, they'll be terrified. They'll start shaking. I pray that they're so dissatisfied with their life and so void and so empty on the inside. That's the prayer. You and I need to be praying for people like that. And then you hand them, the, and then you hand them something. You hand them the word of God or you invite them. You tell them. See, there is power to save a precious soul for heaven in that word as God the Holy Spirit works through you. And that's a changed heart. And, there's, and those are the greatest miracles, and there's people you can't get to personally. I know that. I remember this lady who prayed for her sister in Texas, and she prayed that her sister would know the Lord, okay? Now, here's what happened. Here's how God worked. This one lady here in Michigan prayed for her sister in Texas to know the Lord. And, and, and God answered that prayer because her sister got breast cancer. And her sister went into the hospital, and she did become terrified about dying. What's going to happen to me when I die? And she went to a hospital, and in the bed next to her, there was this lady who did have terminal cancer and who was going to die. And that lady with terminal cancer talked to her about Jesus Christ and told her why she wasn't afraid to die and why she, this lady with breast cancer, didn't have to be afraid of death. And that dear lady with breast cancer, I understand is still alive today, but at that point, in that hospital room, she crossed the line between death and life. Now think about that. One lady in Michigan prays. I mean, you can't get to everybody. I know that. But you pray. One lady in Michigan prays for her sister. And she goes into a hospital with breast cancer. And God works all the details so there is a lady there who is going to die who tells her about the Lord. And she crosses that line. 
All I'm saying is sometimes the power, the omnipotence of God is not dramatic. Oh, sun in the sky, you know, stop. But it's there. Precious people, save forever. Hearts so hard you think they're a lost cause. Why do you think the story of Nicodemus is in the Bible, folks? You never give up with these people. You know, I changed hearts. I, I pray for a changed heart more than anything else in life. I pray for a changed heart that God will change my heart, not to be proud, not to be arrogant, to have an attitude of love and servanthood toward people. I pray for that all the time. Listen, I've known husbands who hated their wives and wives who hated their husbands, and now they can't live without each other, and folks, that is a changed heart. You never give up. You be earnest and persistent and patient in prayer. You trust. You pray like Joshua. God can do this, man. It's that attitude that the sun can stand still. It's that attitude that God can do anything. God has all power. He can change that heart. And you are never without hope. But now here's thought number four. Somehow, sometimes he doesn't use it. He lets stuff happen. And that confuses us, doesn't it? Jesus' dear friend, Lazarus, is sick and dying in John chapter 11. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, send a messenger to Jesus who's about two days away. He says, Lazarus, your dear friend is dying. Please come quickly. Verse 5, John 11, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Verse 6, yet he stayed there two more days. He loved him so he didn't go. Now that's almost an oxymoron because wouldn't love dictate that he drop everything and go. Or at least say the word, he's healed, it's done, rest easy. One more time, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus, and yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then later, a few days later, he raised Lazarus after, after Lazarus had been dead for four days, and hundreds of thousands of people, hundred, I mean hundreds, maybe thousands, witnessed this. And when they saw Jesus dramatically raise Lazarus from the dead, they said, he's the one man. He is true God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah from the Old Testament. I believe in him. You know, sometimes you can't figure out God. He withholds his power to, to bring about his glory. That's what God does. He withholds his power to bring him glory. I think about that lady who had terminal cancer in the hospital with the lady with breast cancer. Did it make sense that God didn't heal her? Obviously, she was a believer in Jesus Christ. Obviously, God loved her. He didn't heal her. Now, why didn't God heal her? Because he wanted her in the hospital at the same time that lady with breast cancer came into the hospital because that lady was afraid to die and she would ask her, aren't you afraid to die? You've got terminal cancer. And she would say, of course I'm not afraid to die. I'm, I'm a Christian. I know God's promises are certain. And maybe she quoted a couple of promises. I believe that when Jesus Christ rose from death, he beat death for me. I believe 1 Corinthians 15, death where is your staying? Death where is that which makes me afraid? And I know it's going to be tough on my husband and kids. But if he can beat death, he can take care of them. See, I don't, it's, I, I don't always understand. I don't always understand why God doesn't always use his power. But John eleven five 5 tells me this. He withholds it because he loves me and has a reason and a purpose. And all this leads to this last thought, thought number five. God has all power. The doctrinal word is omnipotent. And even if God chooses for whatever reason not to use his power, and this is very important to me as a believer, if God, if God chooses at that time for whatever reason not to use his power, here's what I know. I know he still has the power to change my circumstance. And if he so chooses, he can and will in love at the right time. And then again, he may not. I have to leave that to God. But folks, that means just knowing that, just knowing that even if he chooses not to use his power and change my circumstance at this point in my life, you know what that means? It means 
that he has the power, and I never face a brick wall. See, because where our strength and wisdom end, God's never ends. And whether he chooses to use that power or not, I know he has the power, I know he loves me. I mean, I mean to know he loves me, all I got to do is look at the cross. See, there's no dead ends for a believer. We always have hope. And so today we've seen the power of God in creation. We've seen one man's, Joshua's prayer, as the sun stands still because one man prayed. We've seen five thoughts on God's power. First of all, his miracles are divine acts of power. Prove he is God. Only the God who created the laws of nature could suspend him. And knowing that, like Bishop Ryle said, it's foolishness or madness to deny that he is God and the Savior and Lord. Secondly, we've seen, the, we've seen Joshua. When he asked the Lord to stop the sun or the earth, he believed God could do it. Do we believe that, that God can do anything? He believed God could do it. It's that attitude of faith that makes such a difference in your life. Third point, God's greatest miracles are changed heart. Never get up on unbelievers. He can change your heart, other hearts. Those are his greatest miracles. Fourth point, sometimes he withholds his power not to be nasty because he loves us and has a reason for doing what he's doing. And fifthly, we're never without hope. As God's children, we never face dead ends. And to all that, I say, what a God we have. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.